quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few. Yeah, this is uh, episode, I don't know, 90, somewhere, 92, 94, <laughs> 97, somewhere in there, I'm not sure. That's something you'd say, right? That's exactly how I'd say it, because I never know where I am. I just got a ballpark, but I don't pay attention. We never even announced the episode number, um, but today we're going to call it 90, somewhere in there. There you go, I like it. <laughs> So, if you guys don't recognize this voice, it's the one and only Jason Sankoviak. What's going on, brother? Not too much, anything. And yeah, and uh, James has been kind enough. We're going to take this and turn it into a multi-person episode, and I'm going to use it for mine as well, too. So, we are going to cover a little bit of both topics, both places. Hunting season for you has been pretty much... Uh, starting to wind down a little bit, um, you know, at least the main for the elk season. And uh, for me, it's just getting kicked off. So we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, before we get started, uh, I would like to uh, pay a little uh, tribute to some of my Patreon supporters. Um, we like to do a giveaway at the beginning of our podcast. And we don't have Bob with us tonight. And usually me and Bob would do this together. But uh we're going to go ahead and uh, run this one together. So uh, once again, we'd like to thank uh, everyone that's supporting the Trag Quest podcast through our Patreon. Um, if you guys don't know much about it, you can go to our website at tragquest.com or there is a little uh, tab there on our website or on our Instagram page. And basically it's a place you can support the podcast and in return... We take our supporters and we do giveaways, and we give away a lot of cool stuff, and our giveaways come from donations from the Trad community. Uh, tonight, what are we giving away, Jason? We're giving away both sets of my scouting DVDs, the set one and the set two. They are... Um, these DVDs combined, each one is four hours long. So you're looking at a total of eight hours of all kinds of stuff for pretty much everything you can think of for how to scout, uh, whitetails. The first series runs, the first DVD set goes through an entire year, um, starting in February and goes all the way through to winter again, showing you how to scout all the different seasons, what to look for, what to watch for, how to not mix the sign up, things like that. And then the second one, uh, talks about everything that I should have put in the first one that I missed, um, all the extra stuff and the hidden details and a little more advanced stages of stuff, cyber scouting in detail, everything like that in both of them. So they're phenomenal DVDs. Oh, they are phenomenal. Um, I'll tell you this, if you guys happen to be in my neck of the woods and are hunting blacktails and are not a whitetail guy, fear not, this stuff is uh, exactly what you need. Uh, the behavior's the same uh, across the board between whitetails and blacktails. You can, I mean, yeah, they have their differences, of course, sure. 
Um, but as far as bedding, food cover, behavior, it's very similar. And if you're tree stand hunting them, uh, these uh, videos are, uh, these DVDs are a must have. Um, so, yeah, we're going to give those away. Uh, we've I've done a drawing, uh, and the lucky winner tonight is. Russell Darnell. Congratulations, Russell Darnell. Uh, Jason's going to get those sent out to you. And we want to thank uh, Jason Sankoviak for the donation, as always. And thank you very much, Russell, for supporting the podcast. We appreciate it, buddy. I hope these are a big help for you. He's out in Tennessee. Looks oh, like. he's going to love it. And this is right up his alley, um, especially with some of the, there's some hill country stuff in there too. So he'll love that. But um, the broken terrain out there and the things like that's going to be right. This, these will be right up his alley. Boom. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Jason. Thank you so much, buddy. No worries. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, I think that's how we actually met was, you know, Colin, you were trying to figure out some unique, different uh, tactics to implement for your, your black tail hunting. And, uh, you know, so you've mixed in a lot of the whitetail stuff and it's been real successful for you. It's pretty interesting how the, how a deer is a deer is a deer for the most part, you know, with, uh, the way they handle a lot of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I definitely, I reached out to you, uh, wanting to up my, uh, tree stand, uh, tactics and, um, that's where our friendship uh, started and has grown from. And, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for what you do in the whitetail woods, uh, hunting multiple states, public land, do it yourself, um, you know, doing a lot of internet scouting, uh, going in the dark, setting up. I mean, it's, it's impressive. And, you know, there's, uh, some other guys out there doing what you do. And I know you picked up a lot of stuff from, uh, the hunting beast and Dan and fault and those guys, but, where you differ is those guys are, you know, chasing horns and you are chasing adventure and trying to fill the freezer. So it's your tactics are a little different because you, you, you want to kill, uh, every mature big bodied, big, uh, deer that comes by. You're, you're looking to target, uh, well, depending on what your tags for, I suppose. So why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, that? Well, you're, you're right. My tactics are, uh, the, the difference being that you got people like Dan Infault, these guys that are doing this and what they're looking for is they're looking for the biggest buck on a property. That is what they're targeting 100%. And, uh, and they're hunting specifically for that deer. And I tried it after, um, you know, I tried it for a whole month of October in the early season, uh, you know, a couple of years ago after talking with Dan Infault and, and I actually hated it. Um, from the fact that I, I just, it's not my thing. I'm not worried about the, the biggest buck there. Um, and I found myself doing a lot of sits where I wasn't seeing nothing. And then I would get a glimpse of a monster. Um, but basically I would get, you know, I'd have, I'd have three encounters in that whole month of, of whopper deer, um, somewhere inside at 30 yards. And only one time did I have one inside at 20 and it was for about, I don't know, 0.7 seconds as it came by me through a shooting lane. And that was it. It was just done and gone. And my bow never left the hook. You know, my, my jaw just hit the floor and a deer passed by and it was over. Um, and so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with hunting that way if you're after the big horns, but, uh, um, for me, it's uh, my, my method and what I'm, I want to do is I want to get into as many deer as possible. Now, when I say that, I don't mean, 
I want to see as many like in a spot where I'm seeing them, you know, a hundred yards away or anything like that. But I, what I want is I want as many deer as possible to come by me within shooting range for the majority of my sits. Um, now I also do often have, you know, I got buck only tags in certain places and when I'm hunting them, I do kind of mix those tactics together. What I do is I look for those places where the doe activity is going to be. And then I start focusing on how the bucks will use them. And I hunt the bucks that way too. So I do kind of combine a lot of that stuff depends on what I'm hunting for, but I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. If I sit in a tree anywhere, anytime, and I don't have a deer within 20 yards of me, I'm pretty bummed out. You know, I I want it to happen. You know, I, I like that. It's fun for me. And I also don't like sitting in the same place twice, pretty much ever. You know, it's a shame too, because I find these really good spots and I kind of refuse to go back to them sometimes, you know, or maybe I hunt them one time a year, one, one city a year, but I, I like chasing the, the new places, the new things. Um, I definitely like to go in and blind. Matter of fact, um, you know, I, I hunted the first two days of this season, October 1st and 2nd, saw a ton of deer, had a great time, didn't kill anything, passed up a few, um, and then on the morning of the third, I decided that, hey, I got a, a doe-only tag for a unit that I've never been in before. Um, and it's I, I usually buy an extra doe tag for a unit that's further up from me, further north. And this one I'd never been on. And I got an over-the-counter doe tag for it. So that night, the night of the second, I was sitting in the office. It was 1 o'clock in the morning, just got done working. I said, hey, I wonder maybe tomorrow morning I'm going to go up there and go check that place out. So I pulled it up on a map. I looked at it for about 20 minutes, picked a spot. I said, you know what? This looks good. It's got this variables. These variables come together. It looks like it's got the potential. I zoomed in closer, picked exactly what I was looking for, marked the spot on my on my GPS. I left. Uh, I slept for two hours, got up, and I left, and I drove up there an hour and 40 minutes parked my truck, scouted a little bit on my way in in the dark, and uh, and found a spot exactly what I was looking for, which was real close to bedding where I figured they had been in, in the oaks all night eating oaks. And, uh, and I set up there, and, yeah, I saw, you know, saw I was set up a half hour before daylight, saw a ton of deer come through there, and ended up killing a, in a, a decent little doe at 8.30 in the morning. It was done. I was back home by noon. But a spot that I'd never – a spot I've never been in in a county that I've never been in, in a, you know, in a section of woods I've never been in. I mean, we're talking, you know, a couple, you know, a hundred and something miles from my house, never been there ever before and went in there in the dark, you know, on a whim and, you know, put it together. That's the fun stuff for me. That's, that's the learning experience and the, the adventure aspect I want, you know. That's pretty impressive. Uh, do, you, do you ever consider setting up on the ground or is that never even a consideration? I've killed four deer from the ground and I really do like it, um, but I'm saving it. There's two things in life I'm saving for when I don't have the capabilities anymore doing it the way I do it now. Uh, one of them is ground hunting and the other one is fly fishing. Once I can no longer climb tree, when I, not, I, I shouldn't say when I can't, but when I get to a point where I don't want to be carrying stands and sticks and all that gear on my back and huffing, you know, miles in and doing all this stuff, when I don't want to do that anymore, um, and it starts to become a bother for me, then my first correction is going to be to dump the stands and the sticks in a pack and go with a ghillie suit and a haversack and something light and uh, do it that way, um, which I'm looking forward to, but I also don't want it to get here too fast, you know, but that's my later down the road thing. And same with fly fishing, because I, I don't know how to do it and I don't have time to learn how to do it and I don't have the energy to do it, but sooner or later I'm gonna and I want to. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, I see guys, you know, that'll just brush in a blind on a whim and set up and, and do pretty good that way. I've never really, uh, tried it, but I've considered it. 
You know, I built something probably 20 years ago that I killed three of those four deer that were on the ground with, and they were incredible. And then actually, uh, my buddy, John, he's used them six or seven times and killed deer with them back in the day when we used to hunt a lot of Southern Michigan public land running around. And, uh, and then a buddy of mine, Ryan, you guys never heard of him or anything like that, but I, I don't, and I haven't talked to him in 10 years, but he's killed a ton of deer with them too. But I used to make these things I called shooting sticks. And what I did was I needed a way to have a portable blind, but the portable blinds, like the double bulls, they're just no good for a mobile hunter because they, they have to be left out, brushed in, and deer got to get used to them. You can't just pop one up and have good luck with them, you know? Right. And uh, so I tried these homemade TP PVC, like a triangle type set. I tried a bunch of stuff to be able to get mobile and, and down there and, and make this happen. Um, and uh, one of the things I did is, I would buy a piece of, uh, um, I bought these pieces of aluminum like pole that was basically 36 inches long, half inch in diameter, lightweight. And then I put these big zip ties on them. I put six zip ties. So they would be three on each side pointing opposite of each other. And I went to like, uh, it was Joanne Fabrics at the time. Now I still see them at Hobby Lobby. Um, and I know they sell them even on Amazon, but I bought these really big leaves that are designed. They're like the plastic leaves that are designed for people to that make trees and make plants and things and wreaths. Right. And I took those leaves and I stapled three of them on each one of those zip ties, just stapled it right to it and, uh, um, and glued them. And then what I, what was nice about this is I made three of these cut a 45 degree angle on the bottom of one of those sticks. And I could twist those zip ties. So they were all on one side take all three of those sticks and put them together. And it was almost, you know, it, it was really nice and compact unit, very lightweight for me to carry into the woods. And then when I got out there, I would stick these three sticks in the ground around me in front of one in front of me, one on each side of me out there just outside of where my reach for my bow is. And then I would swing those zip ties around it so that they were basically, you know, as wide as they could be. So I'd have the zip ties going in both directions on them. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, you were just, perfect cover. They were incredible. They set up in about, I don't know, maybe a minute and a half, took down in a minute and a half and you could move so fast with them. And they were, they, you know, they cost me, you know, I want to say 25 bucks to build, but they were just awesome system. And I think when I hit the ground again, I'll be using those in a ghillie suit, you know, in combination and they'll work phenomenal. Hmm, that's awesome. So you've burned up a Michigan tag, uh, one deer in the freezer how how many uh, more Michigan tags do you get? I got three more because I pulled two extra doe tags this year. Um, one I won in a lottery, and the other one I bought over the counter. I filled that over the counter one, and uh, so I got a couple more options. And I could buy more over the counter, but I don't think I'm gonna. If I fill these other three tags, then uh, I'm gonna then I'm gonna start heading to uh, you know other states that are close by too. I still have my Missouri trip and Kansas trip and Georgia trip and I might even maybe if I can convince my wife to let me bring my bow with me when we go to Alabama uh, over Christmas break, I might try and hunt down there for a day or two, but pretty limited on the Georgia and the Alabama as far as they're not real hunting trips. They're family camper vacation trips that I might sneak out a little bit in. But Indiana's right there, too, and I hunted it last year, and I had real good luck there. I didn't kill nothing, but I saw deer every time I sat in the stand and had a great time there for two and a half days. And uh, if I tag out here, then I think I'm just going to head down there, and I want to try and, you know, set up a spot that's not too super far from my house, a few hours from my house that I can get to. Uh, yeah, that sounds about pretty good. And you're telling me in Michigan, uh, no baiting this year. 
Yeah, it's the craziest thing. I, I, you know, we went through a, about 10 years ago, they stopped, they banned baiting again. They did it about 10 years ago and it lasted for five years. And it was the best five years of hunting I have ever seen. The interesting part was though, um, crossbows were just legalized as well too, right around that same time. And there were still a ton of people in the woods. I've been out now, granted, I've only been out two and a half days, the first two and a half days of the season, you know, uh, two sits on the opener, two sits the next day and one sit the next morning. But I have yet to, and this is all public land, but I have yet to see another hunter, another truck, or even tracks or evidence of another person out there. Granted, it's been, you know, I've, every day it's been in the rain, pouring rain. I mean, it's been pouring rain the whole time. So a lot of guys won't, but I am shocked that I am seeing nobody in the woods whatsoever. So I don't know if they just gave up or, uh, they're going to wait till gun season or I, I have no idea. I've never seen nothing like it. I'm loving it. But the deer are 100% natural movements, you know, where I would scout and learn these things. And then literally a month or a couple weeks before the season, the woods would turn into a buffet of carrots and corn and sugar beets and bait everywhere all over the place. And these deer would basically become nocturnal. Um, and they would hit these bait piles all night long. You know, it was, it was harder. I mean, I still managed to make it work, but it was harder. Well, now, so far from what I've seen this year, these deer are 100% on natural movement travel patterns, and I straight up love it. Um, it it's just unbelievable. So it's a great time to be in the woods. Have you run into other guys that uh, share your um, excitement? Um, no, very few of them. Actually, everybody I talk to is complaining and, you know, it, it's pretty upsetting because you get these guys going, you know, you can't kill a deer in Michigan with this and the DNR is stupid and, this, you know, the CWD is not proven to be a bait issue and this kind of stuff. And I, I simply just tell them, I say, so you are, you would be willing to risk the future of deer hunting in the state of Michigan so that you can kill a deer and put your picture on Facebook for your friends. And they're like, well, no, I'm like, well, that's exactly what you're telling me. Because that's what it is. You're talking about CWD. This is huge. This is a big deal. It's a big deal in every state that has it. And now when a DNR is telling you, hey, we're going to stop baiting because of the fact that we tried to contain it and let you guys bait everywhere but this county, and we find it still spreading and still becoming an issue and popping up in other places, um, our only defense we have is to stop baiting and stop that nose-to-nose interaction at the bait sites with these you're saying that you don't want them to do that because you're too lazy to go out there and learn how to hunt a deer the right way. So you're mad at the DNR, you know, and there's, there's big celebrities out there even promoting, you know, the DNR doesn't know what they're talking about. You got even people like Ted Nugent throwing a fit about it. You know, it's like, come on, you know, the, the Michigan department of natural resources is trying to save deer hunting for future generations. That's the most important thing. If you're a conservationist and if that doesn't matter to you and killing a deer is more important, you need to take up golf. And that's what a lot of these guys are complaining about. My neighbors, people I know, everybody I see in my town. And in, in my town, they're still selling bait like crazy. I don't know who's buying it, but they're selling it like crazy. Every gas station's got it. Every store's got it. I went into one of them, and I said to him, I said, how are you guys still selling the bait? Quote, unquote. But the answer I got was, well, it's not illegal to sell it. And I went, oh, geez. And then I walked over, and there was a guy loading his truck up with carrots. And I said, hey, uh, I don't think you can bait this year. He said, oh, no, I'm feeding these to my dog. I'm like, you're feeding carrots to your dog? He's like, yep. And he put them in his car and drove away. Like, uh, you know, so like I said, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a weird year. But, you know, if people would just take the time to get out there and learn what's happening, it's so easy to do once you put a little time in and understand it. Well, here's the thing, folks. If you're in Michigan and you just had your bait piles taken away from you, fear not, because my good buddy Jason here has an online course. 
That is true. It's a pretty sweet course. Nothing like it has ever existed. And I'll tell you what, I've got, uh, there's about 300 and something people in it right now. And I've got hundreds of people telling me how great it is. Um, I'm starting to see pictures of them killing deer, even in the early season, they're killing deer, killing the biggest bucks they've ever had. You know, this kind of stuff, it's going over very well. It'll, it'll teach you a lot of great stuff. No doubt about it. So give us a little, uh, and how does it work? You know, people think an app to teach me how to hunt deer, you know, that makes a guy kind of scratch his head. Like what, what am I getting into with this app? Well, it's actually not an app. What it is, is it's an online course. Now you can access it through your phone. You can access it through the computer and access it anywhere you want to. Um, but what you do, you log in with your username and your password. And then every chapter is right there accessible for you. It's a, it would take you about 16 hours right now. If you watched all the videos to complete it. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's insane. It's, it's everything that you could think of. The first couple chapters are basically like classroom whiteboard rules of deer, how to understand how they think, what they do. And some, you know, me explaining some things on a whiteboard, then it gets into teaching you all these different scenarios and I cyber scout them with you. So I show you how they work. And then there's a million of examples in there as far as individual scenarios, um, how to hunt the terrain, how to hunt hill country, uh, what deer are going to do in, in individual specific scenarios, like how to find these overlooked spots, how to hunt uh, the downwind side of bedding areas for deer, how to find the travel corridors between doe bedding areas that bucks will use in a rut in the morning versus in the evening. You know, just all, everything I know is in that course and I constantly update it. So I'm adding things to it regularly. So once you're in it you get all that stuff for free as well too man it sounds uh like it's a wealth of knowledge i mean we know it is by just as long i mean how long have you been hunting whitetails i want to well i was i started when i was 19 i killed my first year at 19 i'm 46 so what is that 20 25 years 25 25 years of uh experience uh a guy doing it with uh stick and string um, I've learned a ton from you and I've yet to, uh, get signed up for this online course, but it's something I need to do. If a guy's getting ready to go into season, it sounds like a lot. Uh, I mean, a guy doesn't need to go through the whole thing. I, I imagine if he can just pick and pick through it before season and still get, get something out of it before he dives into it in the wintertime and really digests it all, or would that not be a, uh, a way to do it? It is 100% set up exactly like you said. It was actually funny because I had to call the host that I host this through and figure that out because originally it was designed where you had to start from the beginning and go through the end. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. You got people that are going to be sitting in a tree stand and they're having a rough day. And it's, or let's say they're in a tree stand and it's, you know, it's 10 or 20 degrees warmer than normal and they don't know what to do or where to go hunt for that afternoon. Well, I want them to be able to access that particular chapter and find it. So I had to work with the host company to be able to set it up like that and remove those securities so they don't have to start from the beginning so you're right they can jump in anytime and it's nice for that and that's what a couple people have done already they went in there and they hunted their spots and they didn't have any luck you know and this is early september opener places and then even down in a guy in kentucky i think they even opened earlier but he's like i've been hunting for a week and i'm getting my butt kicked i went in your course and started i saw acorns dropping i went in your course looked at some of the stuff on how to hunt those and then that made it perfect and i ended up killing an eight point 
you know. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you can actually access it any part of it anytime you want to, which is really good. And then go back and, you know, when you got downtime, watch the, the boring stuff, but very valuable boring stuff. That's really nice because, I mean, you know, we're all slackers or family men uh, or women and we're busy and we want to, to you know, read these books, watch these videos, check out these podcasts. There's so much stuff you, before season, You the things you want to do to up your game. And then you kind of, it comes upon you and you think, okay. I need to pick and choose here because you're excited about the season coming and you want to take some new knowledge to the woods. And I think this is the perfect thing. And you setting it up that way where a guy can kind of grab a, a slice of it that, and digest it and get him ready to see the whole picture. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it goes over really well with that that luxury. I mean, like I said, I saw it how it was set up when I first set it up before, and it was miserable. I mean, like I said, that stuff, not everybody wants to watch that right off the bat. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we're all busy people. We want, our, we want an answer to a specific question rather than have to go through the whole entire thing to find that. You know, and it's, this way it lets you do it. And it's all broke down by chapters, and each chapter has an actual description of what each video is. So you can go to the chapter on uh, sp- uh, specific buck tactics, and then you can look at the examples and stuff that's in there about how to hunt one specific buck. You can go to the hill country chapter and learn how to uh, identify all the different terrain features and how to use them, and then an example of how to scout them. You know, it's all right there for you. It's a really cool setup. Do you, I know that you often are in the practice of uh, coming in with the stand and going out with the stand. Is there ever situations where you leave the stand and come back and hunt that same tree the next day or the next morning sit? Or is that something that just really doesn't fit the, the program? That's a great question, and it's a tricky answer, but in a nutshell, there's a couple of times that I will do that. Um, one of them is if it's raining, and I think the spot's a good spot. Um, I'll believe, If I want to leave it up and come back in the morning, if it's raining or going to rain pretty quick before I leave, I will because that scent will be washed out of there, so I'll be safe. Um, to come back the next day. Um, and then, uh, and sometimes I'll do that too. If I, if it's was a real good morning spot and then, I, but I didn't kill nothing, but I know it's really good and it's going to rain that day. Uh, if I want to go back there the next morning, I will, if that rain has washed me out of there. So I'm clean and it's a fresh sit again. So rain is a reset button. It's a great thing. Um, that being said, the other time is if it is in the rut, um, and I'm basically, or even pre-rut, where I'm I'm specifically targeting cruising bucks, you know, between bedding areas or something like that. Um, like I said, I know I know I kill a lot of does, but I also kill quite a few bucks. And there's a lot of times I'm hunting specifically for bucks. And when I am, if they're cruisers like that, and I know that that I'm, I don't care if I get busted um, because the deer when I was there, the the buck I was looking for did not come by me. So any other deer that I let pass, even if they busted me or not, is irrelevant because the one I'm looking for didn't come by. And if he's going to come by during daylight when I'm in there, um, when he comes by, even if he hits that scent or hits scent from other deer stomping at me or anything like that, doesn't matter because I'm already going to kill him. So in those scenarios, then I, I have no problem hunting it again. 
And uh, I know some people that have very good tactics. They'll go to an out-of-state hunt, and they'll scout it for three days, and they'll find the very best funnel or pinch point on that property, and then they'll sit there for seven straight days all day long and not move, just waiting for it because they know eventually this one specific deer is going to come by there. You know, so that's, you know, that's not bad. But generally speaking, I try as hard as I can to never be in the same place twice ever. Um, it's It's a confidence thing, and it's an adventure thing. I'm just too... Uh, you know, once I sat in a spot and I seen either a lot of deer, I did see deer. It's like, I already know that the first time in is the best. So whatever, however, if I saw 10 deer that time, I know the next time my odds of seeing 10 deer again are going to be slimmer. And also on the same note, every time I sit in a new tree, I think that there's a 200 inch whitetail that's bedded 80 yards away. and He's going to get up in five minutes and walk by me. Um, that's the kind of confidence you want to have and whether that happens or not is irrelevant. But once the hunt is over, I know if it did or didn't, and I don't want to be at that spot no more. I want to go back to a new spot that I find is going to make me feel that way again. Yeah. You had said something in a podcast recently on uh, one of your episodes, you were saying, uh, save the, the better spots for later. Uh, what, what were you calling it? I'm trying to think of what you're talking about there. Uh, um, uh, yeah, you were talking about saving them and, and not hunting your best spots first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, once you find a spot, that, honey holes are uh, are the worst thing for a hunter. And I, and I have about 10 of them. And there are 10 spots that um, I know that if I walk in there, I can kill deer. And a lot of times it can be pretty decent deer. Um, and, um, you know, where I got spots that I know if I want to kill a doe, I can go there and my odds of seeing 10 or 12 deer that morning and it being all does is, is very good. Um, I try as hard as I can to not go to those spots until I'm restricted to till, till I'm having such a rough time that I just need to fill my freezer and then I'll go into one of them. But the problem with honey hole spots, those really, really good spots when people find them is then you stop learning. Once you stop learning, it's over. Then you become, you, you become, it's the same reason that these bait hunters have got that attitude. They can't kill a deer. Well, I've been hunting 40 years and, uh, you know, you can't kill a deer without bait. Well, you could have, if you spent 40 years learning how to kill deer, instead you've spent 40 years learning how to sit over a bait pile, you know? Um, and it's the same thing. If you find a honey hole stand and you're all excited and then you spend the next five years hunting that honey hole stand, you just wasted five years and you gained nothing, no advancement in your success or anything. And it just makes you stagnant and stale. And, and then when you lose that honey hole or somebody logs it or it dries up or crops change or landowner permissions change, uh, you're back to square one from years ago and you're, you're out of the game. You don't know what you're doing anymore. You know? So honey holes, in my opinion, are the worst thing you can have. And if you get one, great consider it a success that you found one and then stay the heck out of it give it to somebody else that needs it let them be the lazy one that sits there and kills deer every year while you move on and and learn more yeah that's that's one way to look at it for sure i think uh or at least at least saving it for the end of season right (laughs) when 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 everything else yeah yeah, when everything else isn't working out um, that's, yeah, or you put your friends in it or my kids, you know, my, right. my daughter's going to go out Sunday for her first time for this year. I'm taking her out Sunday. You can bet I'm going to put her in one of the cool, one of the best spots I got, you know, on purpose because it's her, she's going to get like three days to hunt all year, um, because of her college and her school and all this stuff and working. And so, I mean, I'm going to put her in a very best spot I possibly have and hope she has the best odds there, you know? So you save it for things like that. Or if you got kids and you want to take them out and you want to show them this experience, you know, honey holes serve a purpose. But uh, like I said, if you find them and you become addicted to them, you're, you're defeating the purpose. Right. Well, 
I'm going to go do some blacktail hunting uh, down in southern Oregon where there's uh, a much higher deer density than where I live uh, here on the, on the coast and um, a lot less understory um, stands of oaks and pines and uh, more uh, friendly to uh, being able to come in and just hang a tree stand and not have to, uh, you know, come in and clear brush in the, you know, well before season or whatever. So to be able to utilize some of these tactics, I'm looking forward. It's going to be, I think I'm going to be down there for eight days. And so my thought is to go hang a tree stand on one of those pinch points like you talked about where a guy might want to spend his whole time, but just get it hung and just in my mind think it's there. I got that spot. Cause I'm going to be there during the rut. And then go out with my uh, lone wolf lightweight setup and go out and learn some stuff. And if I start to get my butt kicked, I can always jump over to the pinch point and r relax and rest for a little bit. And then go back out and and uh, grind it with the stand on my back in this uh, steep country. It's kind of kind of the thought process right now of uh, how. I was just going to say, I think that's absolutely brilliant. You're covering all the bases you're giving and then, you know, but you get that uh, security factor in there. So you're going to hang that one and you're going to go, okay, this one is, should be really good because of where it is, but then you're going to go out, you're going to chase, you're going to learn, you're going to work it, you're going to do it. If you need to, like you said, you just go, if you're going to take a break and need a day to rest, you do it on that tree stand, make it an all day sit and, you know, have incredible odds. doesn't yeah. get better than that. Right. And then after an all day sit, you're ready to go climb some hills with a, 25 pounds of, of tree sand equipment on your back. Yeah, I think it's absolute brilliance. Hey, and before we get too far into your black tail tactics, um, you know, like I said, cause it's going both ways here on this podcast. Tell me about your uh, elk season. It's pretty much over for your, your normal rut September elk season. How'd it go for you? <laughs> well, we can cover that in about one minute. Uh, <laughs> boo, boo, boo. It was, it was actually, uh, quite terrible. Um, probably the worst elk season, uh, that I've had. I wasn't even really going to even going to talk about it on the podcast cause it's just, uh, <laughs> me being Mr. Negative. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I can tell you things that make me feel better. Like I can tell you about the guys that always do well, uh, here in my area that didn't get nothing. And, <laughs> you know, um, but no, I, they just, we had some serious weather. Um, the season fluctuates and how, how the, um, how it's set up is it, it starts on the last full weekend of August and the way that calendar year works, it keeps making the season start a day earlier, every year, a day earlier, a day earlier. And we've gotten to the point where this season is the earliest it's ever going to get. And then it's going to reset next year. And so, we had a very early start and a very early ending because we got a 30 day season and the rut just never really came on. And I'm very dependent on these animals being in the rut, um, hunting coastal Roosevelt's on the Oregon coast in the thick jungle. I, and, and I'm limited to a three points or better bull elk, um, in the unit I'm hunting. So I can't, uh, target cows or spikes. So, um, it's a difficult hunt as it is, but if they're not bugling 
and staging and displaying. Um, it makes the, uh, you know, lo locating them and, and moving in on them next to impossible. Um, I got on cows a couple times, no bull with them. Um, I'm usually accustomed to, you know, at least throwing an arrow over a couple bulls backs. Uh, <laughs> and that, I didn't even knock an arrow. So it, it, I think I heard a couple half-hearted bugles and when I moved in on them, uh, they did not want to play. And I would drive by some of these elk refuges, which are like where the elk are protected and you can kind of see them out there. Um, and during the rut, usually there'd be big bulls in there trying to breed them and stuff. And that, it just didn't come on until right about now. I think it's October 3rd. And for the last five, six, seven days, they've been, you know, rutting hard, staging and displaying, meaning they're up there, uh, on the main lines, uh, up on the ridges doing hookings, just raking all the trees and they're bugling and they're carrying on and the hunt ended on the 22nd. So, it, we just really missed the action. So next year, it moves forward to the 28th, I think. Um, and then, on a positive note, uh, during archery season, I believe it was uh, September 10th, um, I accompanied uh, Riley Savage, who is our current president of Traditional Archers of Oregon. And we took a day off of elk hunting together and we traveled down to the south coast to Gold Beach and we testified at the ODFNW Commission big game meeting um, uh, for uh, petitioning for more traditional bow hunting opportunity. And, yeah. and we, I'm going to cut you off on that though, just for a second, because we definitely got to get into that and next because it's amazing. But first, hold on. Back to the elk season. Um, so you busted butt all the time. How many how many miles do you think you put on hiking up and down hills? Um, to put it into perspective, for my listeners, our whitetail guys, and they think they got a hard season or, you know, this kind of stuff. What do you think you put in foot miles that you actually hiked this year chasing elk and never knocked an arrow? You know what? I... I put in a lot less foot miles this year than I normally would. Um, and a day of elk hunting could be, you know, somewhere in the realms for me of three miles to an extreme of 12 miles. Um, and I've been able to, in the last few years, kind of not put in the miles until I find the elk, meaning kind of drive around on the roads and see where they've crossed or, or see where they've, you know, fed on the side or whatever. Go, okay, I have a hunch they're in this giant drainage. And then from there, I'm going to drive the skid roads that are, you know, uh, gravel stuff you can drive. And I'm going to look around and be like, okay, are they in this drainage? Convince myself they're in there. And then once I've convinced myself they're in there, then I'm going to look at the topo and look for where the benches are. And then I'm going to start diving in, you know, and, uh, I'll get mid slope and try to bugle, um, cold call, um, 
the wind was also something else this year. I mean, I could not get consistent wind uh, to save my life, which uh, there was probably some times when I was cold calling and had some silent elk around, but the wind was terrible. So it's just a lot of whining and complaining for me. I don't know. I, I, I almost feel like uh, I just need a break from hunting the brush. I, I, I've hunted the Roosevelt's the last two seasons, but I just came off of three seasons of hunting Eastern Oregon, Rocky Mountain elk, like backpack wilderness hunting. And I'm, I'm planning on going back to that, uh, at least for uh, a few years, because I'm, I'm worn out on, on, uh, this thick coastal jungle. I mean, it is, you, you have to be Jason within a couple hundred yards to hear a bugle. Um, yeah. And then you also, I remember you telling me when we were talking blacktails and I'd say, Oh, well just go in here, you know, pick a spot that's going to give you a little shooting, climb off that tree. And we were talking and be like, you don't understand. You cannot, if you, you, you don't have a 10 yard shot in 90% in 90% of the places yeah. where you're trying to, you're like, you'd have to, you know, forget your, your handsaw. You're, you need a bulldozer, you know? Yeah. You can get bulls in my country. Actually, you can call them in and have them at an honest, like, 15 feet and not have shots sometimes right um because it's so thick and if there's not elk trails to 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 move through in some of this country that's the only way to get i mean there is no other way like they paved the way and you use their trails or they're like there's no other way to get through them um you know and i i work in the woods uh seasonally and and we use elk trails uh, how we access our uh, creeks and streams that we're doing our surveys in. Um, you know, you look at the topo and you think this is how I'm go- how you would think you're going to go. And then when you start to do that, you figure out the elk, for whatever reason, because of a thick, you know, huckleberry patch or vine maple patch, they took the trail this way or that way and they always know the best way to go and so you just kind of kind of have to use those and it's a double-edged sword using their uh, ways in and out too so um yeah it's kind of frustrating and um elk right now jason i'm kind of sour uh i'm kind of like elk suck they're ugly they're stupid (laughs) i don't like them um I've, my friends keep sending me pictures of uh, bulls, like, look at this Rosie that such and such guy got, or look at that Rosie. And I'm like, uh, blacktails? That's not a blacktail. Um, I keep saying, uh, hashtag not a blacktail. That's kind of like the joke that me and my friends, not a blacktail. Like, you send me a picture of anything right now, and if it's not a blacktail, I'm not interested. Because <laughs> my head is wrapped around blacktail. And as I say that, I'm still listening to podcasts about whitetails. And I'm still reading articles about whitetails. And I'm calling my friends like you and bugging and harassing you about whitetails. Because in my head, uh, you guys are playing the same game. Um, and so that, you know, th- there's some, you know, some, some differences, but very similar. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in full uh beast mode right now i'm ready to uh get out there and um it's what it's october 4th 
here in my country, um, the rain. Also, elk season. It rained. I, I don't know if I mentioned that. It rained, and it rained, and it rained. I mean, we got three or four inches of rain for multiple days in a row. I think it totally washed the rut down. It shut the elk down. Um, elk hunting in the rain. Now, give me blacktail rut in the rain, and I love it. It's awesome. Like, bring it on. Let's do it. But elk in the rain, at least Roosevelt elk, I, I think they, I think maybe an outer, they go to outer space, like a saucer <laughs> comes down and they're like, it's raining. It's time to leave. I, I'm not sure because I can't, I can't figure it out. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the elk, but I know the deer, like you said, they love the rain, but I mean, you guys get so much rain out there, four inches in one day. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, I'll hunt if we got an inch and a half or less of rain, I have no problem hunting in it. Cause I know it's, you know, it's going to rain and it's going to be, you know, downpours at times. And, uh, but you probably still get some gaps in there and stuff like that. So it's worth it. But, uh, four inches of rain in one day, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. That's an, uh, that's, you know, that's not an extreme, but that happened. And we also don't get rain in September. Like it's not something that happens. It's actually something that you kind of hope to get a little bit because the woods are dry and you want to, you want to get a little bit of moisture. And so when it was start happening early on, I thought this is awesome. We're setting ourselves up. There's probably some recordings of me. I think I did a podcast that I'm going to release with Chris Tipton on Roosevelt Elk where I'm excited a little bit about the rain. Like the, I think it's raining during the podcast, but it, it didn't stop. You know, I thought, okay, a little bit of rain, this will get things cleaned up, quiet the woods down. Um, but the rain just kept coming and kept coming. And you, you can't go out and locate with a bugle because the rain just creates so much noise. And then even when the rain stops, these old growth trees drip uh, just for days, it seems. And it creates right. a, a lot of noise. And so, yeah, the rain, uh, and we've been getting a lot of rain this year early. We normally get a lot of rain in Oregon. It doesn't happen early. And it opened up a lot of timber company lands that normally uh, don't allow elk hunting during September, which uh, was good. But traditionally, they would say walk-in only, meaning the gates aren't going to open, but you can walk in there and hunt. Um, but unfortunately, there's this new fad out here where they want to open their gates and let people drive in. And that can work okay for deer hunting, but elk really need security. Okay. And when you hunt elk in areas where there's car, a lot of car traffic, um, they're tough to deal with. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they gotta have some room to roam. They're a big animal and they're covering ground. They're not like deer where there's, you know, stationary like that, you know, food to bedding and simple stuff like that. I mean you're covering a lot of ground. Yeah. So unfortunately, um I would like Bob was saying we should just hunt mountain lions and bears. You know, just let let uh the high profile animals, uh the deer and the elk go to everybody else and we could have our own, you know, uh, liberal seasons and uh, not worry about everybody else. Uh, that sounds great, Bob. But realistically, I think he, he's right as far as like, I mean, elk are high profile compared to deer. Um, you know, you could go hunt deer in the month of September in states like Oregon and 
Montana, state elk states, and uh, not gonna not have anyone really around. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's something to be said about that. I really like hunting mule deer open country. I really like hunting blacktails. I think I would probably love hunting whitetails. Um, I, I just like hunting deer a lot, and I'm happy that it's deer season. And I'm ready to stop talking about those stupid, ugly elk. <laughs> all right, so now tell me, too, also, though. All right, so let's get into this, because this is very important. So you skipped a day of elk hunting, which is obviously hard to do right in the middle of it all. And uh, you went down and you had, uh, you know, you testified, you did this. So, all right, now let's get back to that. So what did you guys accomplish and what did it do? Okay, so of course it wasn't raining on the day that we're going to take off to go elk hunting, right? Oh, no, it's it's September 10th. Um, it's looking like it's going to be, or no, I think it was actually the 13th. Yeah, I think it was actually Friday the 13th, which was interesting. Yeah, September 13th, you know, the rut's coming on. Guys are claiming they're hearing bugles, and we're going down to testify. And this is a long process. You're down there all day long waiting for your turn to deal with the commission. And this is where they're making their decision for the regulations for next year. And uh, we've been working with the commission and uh, uh, trying to uh, convince them um, to add to what we already have. Uh, we have uh, a couple traditional only um, hunts uh, here in Oregon, and we were wanting to add to that. And um, we got a 50 tag allotment in the North Fork of the John Day Wilderness. And it's a five-day extension to elk season. So basically, your general tag would allow you to go into this wilderness and hunt. And when the season ends, and you're going to be hunting in there general season with anyone that, um, you know, with compounds and traditional equipment, whatever. But then the, the day that the season ends, you don't have to leave. You can stay in there if you have the special tag and you get five extra days when the elk are next year. I think that's the 28th into like the second or third of October. So we're talking full rut. Um, it's going to be an awesome opportunity for the guys that have that tag. And it's really cool that Oregon is recognizing the difference between the equipment and is uh, giving incentive because um, I think giving incentive is going to be the best way to grow traditional archery. Um, it's something that we are very passionate about here at TradQuest. And um, a lot of people, I think, they hear that and they're not really sure what to think of it or how to think of it. And I think that's something we should talk about. Um, but here in Oregon, we're hoping to get uh, more and more opportunity for, for uh, traditional bow hunting. And we're getting great support from um, the modern archery uh, crowd as well, um, which is uh, encouraging. You know, it's awesome to have them say, yeah, you know, you guys, uh, uh, and it's not you guys. They say, we would like that opportunity. You know, we, we would love to set our compound down and pick up a longbow and, and go on a special hunt. Um, and so, hey, uh, giving those incentives, man. I mean, that's how I got here. 
I started a, a traditional archery because I drew a traditional mule deer tag and picked up a bow and learned how to use it and put my compound down and sold it and, and moved on. I mean, so uh, it's something we're, I'm pretty passionate about and we're pretty excited to add a, another one to our synopsis and uh, they're promising us uh, uh, a Roosevelt hunt and a blacktail hunt um, the following year when they reconfigure the west side. So uh, look for more traditional hunts in Oregon. And, and those are opportunities that out-of-staters can come enjoy as well. And um, we would love to uh, help anyone in any state. I think that it fits. I mean, there's states that have a lot of opportunity, but they might be crowded. And so having a zone or an area or a uh, management uh, area, whatever, that uh, used traditional archery as a management objective to uh, maybe bring the numbers up or create opportunity for uh, uh, people that are willing to use a lesser weapon. Yep. And now let's let's look at that for one second here. So you already added that how many seasons for how many trad hunts have you guys been part of adding in now? Well, we uh, we have the Trout Creeks, which is a uh, mule deer hunt, and uh, we yep. have we have this new elk hunt. We actually traded basically an elk, a, a one week hunt that was during season. It was actually the first week of the season, and it was it's just a place that burned up. So there's a, really no habitat left there, and it's just hot, and the the elk are sparse. And so we convinced the department, like, hey, we kind of need an area to hunt elk here um, that's uh, viable. And through talks and discussions, um, not only were we able to get that, uh, that area, but we got it instead of during season, we got it as an extension on the end of season, which is when the elk hunting actually is good. It's getting good. Um, so it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty big trade. It's pretty big time. So at, currently we have two traditional, uh, opportunities in the state. Um, and though next year we'll have two as well, that the elk opportunity will change. And, uh, we were being promised two more and there is uh, talk and ideas of adding these elk extensions to several wildernesses. Um, it could just be uh, a thing we do. So uh, it, it's uh, right now. It's a uh, that's a long process to get to where we're at now. It's a big victory for us. It sure is. But let's let's. And, and when, and, and when I say us, I, I'm not talking about TradQuest. I'm talking about traditional archers of Oregon, and uh, I'm such a tiny, small piece of that. Um, Bob is our field governor. Um, I'm a new board member, I'm helping on some of the committees. Um, we have some quality individuals involved in this organization. Um, I'd mentioned Riley Savage, he's our current president, uh, uh, quality individual. He's doing amazing things with our organization. Um, and you know, anyone listening, uh, if you're not a member to your state-run organization, you need to be. And if you're not impressed with what they're doing, then uh, make it impressive. You know, get involved um, because I think it's 
probably the most important thing uh, when it comes to uh, being a bow hunter. Yeah, that's a great idea and a great tip. And it's something that's easily forgotten. Um, you know, like uh, me, being part of that, it's kind of funny. Uh, I got Bill Hoffman who runs all that stuff, and he calls me every year and says, "Hey, dude, you got to re up your Michigan Bow Hunters, you know, uh, thing and stuff like that," because um, he sees that stuff come through. But it's important, and it's it is easy to forget. But uh, you know, um, what I started doing is I started telling myself too that uh, every year in January. When I also, you you know, when you uh, basically ring in the new year, it's time to then jot down on that night, on New Year's Eve, jot down all of the organizations you're part of and then leave them right on that list. And then as your checks come in over the next couple of weeks, dedicate the money to pay for it, you know, so you're paying for them. But it's just uh, pick a date, whether it's your birthday, New Year's, whatever it is, and just make a point that you, on that day, you renew this stuff. Because it's it can be a pain in the butt to remember, but it is important. Yeah, man. And I mean, I'm a knucklehead, but you know, educate yourself to the topics a little bit. So you're not like these guys, you know, like your neighbors that are whining about the bait. I'm sure if they were involved in the process and, and, and the science and they understood why that your uh, uh, district wildlife biologists or whatever you guys refer to them out there, uh, why the science is calling for this management, then they would understand. And I think that's uh, really important in this process. You know, it's easy for everybody to whine and complain about their state organization. Well, uh, being a part of the process, and there's no better way to be a part of that than to be involved with your state-run organization that actually has a pool that has a say at the table. Um, you know, like traditional archers of Oregon. Uh, it's It's really cool to be a part of an organization that's not just putting on bow shoots, but we're fighting for opportunity uh, for our lifestyle. And, you know, that brings us to the point that I was going to get to earlier here when I asked you how many seasons you guys got. But think about that for a second. Um, you know, you started TradQuest with the intent. I remember I was in a wall tent in Kansas when you called and you said, I don't think I'm going to do it. I don't know. Nobody's going to have, I'm not going to bring anything to the table. I remember that conversation. I was, like I said, on a solo hunt in Kansas. Well, it's because you uh, were talking me into doing the podcast. That's why. Right. Yeah. Right. But you, yeah, yeah, you were, and you were having second thoughts on it and not sure. And you were afraid you wouldn't be have anything to bring to the table. You know, who am I? I'm a guy that runs around the woods with a stick and a string, just like everybody else. And, That's and it. since then, you not only has it turned into, you know, one of the best podcasts out there, you got incredible guests, all that stuff, but it became a platform for you. So what you did is you saw this opportunity. Now you've been involved with the traditional community and all that stuff in, in Oregon and, and, you know, Oregon bow hunters and doing all this stuff along the way. But once you had this platform and you had some, some, some foundation under you, I remember you saying, you know what, I'm going to use this to create so much possibility and so much power for us traditional bow hunters that it's going to be unbelievable. I will make it my mission to do this. And look at what you've accomplished in a very short amount of time. Now, honestly, I, I love that you put the, the plugs in for Oregon traditional bow hunters and for all these guys. And, and I get that. And it's, you know, we'll never be done without them. But You've been a pretty integral part. You and Bob have done a, a hell of a wow. lot to bring this fight and make it happen, man. It's the hours and hours of work and everything to that so that all of us can reap these benefits and it will spread. It will spread to other states. You know, yeah. here well, in Michigan, 
they're analyzing the cross school thing. They're not analyzing it like they're going to get rid of it. They'll never get rid of it, but they're analyzing it. And they're looking at data, which means if they're not getting rid of cross schools, they're going to start looking at restricting tags. Wisconsin is doing the same. A lot of places are taking these considerations in, but what you've done out West is you've proven to these people, Hey, we can, these tag restrictions and these things that you want to do to, because bow hunting has become, no, it, it's now a management tool. It's not just an extend your season tool. It's a management it's a tool. Management it has tool. to be managed way. And you've, you've created opportunity for those of us that refuse to take these shortcuts and use these modern weapons that, that increase the range and the likelihood of success. So you've, you've created these opportunities. I, no, I can't get any no, better. No. I haven't created me. them. I've just been a small little tiny itsy bitsy uh, leg in the uh, centipedes to march. But I'm, man, guys like uh, Carson Brown from Echo Archery, Andy Ponce at Addictive Archery. I mean, Oregon, we've got some good dudes out here, man. Some guys that are in the trenches and really getting some stuff done. Um, Bob, you know, Bob Borland, you know, my partner in the podcast, uh, you know, Bob's not on here tonight. Bob's going to do, be doing some podcasts, uh, uh, without me as well. Our, our lives are very busy with family and work and lining up Jason's schedule with Bob's schedule with my schedule or whoever we're going to have on is, 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 is seeming to be impossible at this time. And so, uh, we're going to, you know, bring the content however we can. Uh, as long as, you know, we can keep it quality for sure. So, uh, but no, Bob, you know, man, that guy's, you know, been doing it like you since was 25 years or whatever. And, uh, the experience he brings to the table, the experience he brings to traditional archers of Oregon, I'm excited to be a part of this. Um, trad quest is definitely something that we want to, uh, promote traditional bow hunting in a positive light. Uh, we love the classy side of things. We love our elders. We love the guys that paved the way. Um, uh, we love, uh, you know, the, the future. Um, we see, uh, like you said, modern equipment, um, losing opportunity. And we're hoping to pick up and keep what we have or gain um, as, as they uh, move forward in uh, their, I guess, uh, of technology. Yeah, their, their uh, ability to evolve their technology forward. Um, I'm, I'm happy to just uh, keep my uh, 30 days and. And, and hit the woods with less guys. And you know what? I'm talking to a lot of compound guys that uh, they're, yeah, yeah, they're not doing it the way me and you are, where they're like ready to just give it up. But man, uh, if, if it means losing opportunity or a gain of opportunity, that incentive is sweet, man. There are guys that are ready to learn to shoot the bow. I mean, uh, I did go hunt some mule deer for a week, and I don't think we talked about that, but uh, I took my boss with me, and he is a compound hunter, and he wanted to go on a traditional uh, mule deer hunt, and uh, he got the tag, and he spent all summer shooting the bow, and he became proficient, and he had a blast, man, and he's, I imagine he'll do it again. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a cool time we're living in. 
Um, a lot of things are changing. There's a lot of moving parts. And and these traditional seasons aren't about taking away the opportunity. Like here in Oregon, um, we don't want to take away opportunity from modern archery. Um, we are finding holes to gain opportunity where there is none. Um, that mule deer hunt we have, place was shot out, didn't have nothing in it when they gave it to us. And uh, now it's, uh, you know, doing, uh, at least it's, uh, I think, at a uh, management objective because we have a very uh, low impact on the resource, man. That's it. Right. Yeah. And, and you're right. You're not trying to take away. I mean, if, if there's seasons that are taken away from modern hunters, they're taking they're self-inflicted problems. I mean, like yeah. I said, when you got weapons, you know, when you got guys out there, especially you guys out west with compound shooters shooting hundred yard shots. I remember you telling me some of the stories about these antelope hunters, hundred twenty four yard shots on antelope with a compound bow, and then uh, we got the crossbow guys all over here that are taking hundred yard shots because they watch a raving raving crossbows TV commercial, so now they can do it. I don't and all this stuff. So I don't blame they, them they, though, they can, honestly, Jason. I mean, I got friends that. That, that have the accuracy they, and they put the time in and they've got the bow press and they know how to tune their bows and and they get these compounds so uh dialed in and it's like yeah they're you know i know guys that are regularly taking animals 100 yards and i keep hearing guys say they, no no one's shooting past 40 no one's shooting past 40 no that's not true sorry folks um and these guys are doing it in my book they're doing it pretty ethically uh, the equipment's there. The tech, if you put in the kind of time that we put in with our stick bows, you do it with the compound and you've got a, a bow press at your house and you know how to tune and time and, you know, really, uh, make that, that machine do its job. Uh, these things are, uh, machines, man. Um, and these seasons weren't set up for them. That's, that's fact. That's fact. Yeah. yeah. Now, on that level, what actually before we get to that, um, but point being that you're right. If, if if there's any loss in modern archery seasons, it is self-inflicted by modern archers because of the sheer number of game they're taking. That's what's causing them to lose seasons. Not yeah. traditional bow hunters. Not the things that you're creating. So all you're doing is you're you're extending opportunity for for equipment and technology that doesn't have the capabilities. Right. And so that's like I said a good thing but now as far as like those guys i mean even if they and, have those and, and, and in oregon you can draw these tags and still hunt your general season with your compound and then pick up your stick bow and go into these areas and just like if you're going to go into a gun area a gun season or a, a whatever and so you got guys um out there i have friends that like hunting with muzzle loaders and stick bows and compounds and rifles and hey if that's the tag in their pocket, that's the weapon in their hand. And if that's what you're into, um, you know, that's, that's one way to, uh, to uh, have a stick bow in a guy's hand. Because I think as that evolves and he sees more opportunity uh, hunting with a lesser weapon, um, we grow our numbers. Right. Yeah, no, that's a it's a great thing. Like I said, it's, you 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 said it so perfect when you said we're not taking away any seasons; we're just extending them for the right kind of equipment. Yeah, it's the, the, the seasons are for everybody. Uh, everybody's uh, capable of of buying a stick bow and and uh, putting in the time and learning how to use it. Their effective range might be, you know, five yards or ten yards or twenty five yards. That all depends on on them. 
Um, but I think everybody's capable. Yeah, hopefully they have the ethics to not try to do those, you know, those farther shots and try to push the limits with it when they're out there. You know, I don't see a lot of trad guys doing that because they kind of understand right off the bat. But compound guys uh, coming into it, they might get that attitude. Well, at home, I can shoot 40 yards and hit the target well at 40 yards. I can shoot it, you know, at a you know mule deer at 40 yards, you know. Sure, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we can't. We can't police. Right. We can't police ethics, but all we can do is uh, educate. Um, um, and that's, you know, sometimes I wonder why I, during hunting season it was really refreshing to not really uh, check in with social media. We really didn't put out any podcasts, and you kind of get you take a step back from all this, and you wonder, uh, you know, why am I involved with this? It's kind of weird, the whole thing. But then you come back to reality and you check back into your work and you listen to a few podcasts. Like I was listening to, I think it was episode three thirty eight of the, uh, uh, traditional bow hunting wilderness podcast. And it got me all pumped up again. And, and I, I really like what you do. It's like kind of like a self-help podcast. I think you help a ton of people and I think you get a lot of guys into the sport and I think you keep a lot of guys, uh, I, I don't I really call it, like calling it a sport, the lifestyle. You get a lot of guys into the lifestyle, and I think you help keep a lot of guys around. And so, you know, I thank you for what you do there. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep, it's, it's a lot of fun, um, but it is, you're right. You, sometimes you wish you could, you know, like you said, you know, step back, step out of it a little bit, just get back in the woods and just do it for what it's for. Um, and uh, it's got to be, I, I mean, like we were talking earlier, you said, I mean, you ran into, a, there's a lot of people out in the woods that, you know, shouldn't be in the woods. You've run into them this year. I haven't seen any this year, but I mean, I see a ton of them. And uh, it, it just makes you wonder on some of that kind of stuff out there. You just want them to, you know, you, you want them to care and be out there for the right reasons. And I, I honestly, I, I know a lot of people are, but there's a lot of people that aren't. A lot of people are looking for that, that trophy picture. That's the only thing that matters. I mean, here with the deer, there's people that, you know, that have been busted for not even taking the meat or they give the meat. They're not out there for any part of the meat. They're only out there for that rack. And they got to get that picture on Facebook with it. And, you know, there's stuff you try to try to change. And make yeah. It, the, the internet's weird and, and the meat thing too is weird too. I, I think that the, I think the internet is good though and bad. I mean, it's like a double-edged sword once again. I mean, I think that the meat part, like people are really getting educated. Like there's more to this than just chicken fried steak and beef jerky or whatever. Like, you know, you can do stuff with this meat and uh, it's, it's a shame have you noticed um, now that, like, you, with your uh, with your cow you killed last year, um, being all meat and stuff like that? Have you had non-hunters uh, that hear you or find you or see your pictures asking you, like, literally contact you and ask you about why uh, you didn't kill something with horns or what it is about the meat or congratulate you for it because they're they're non-hunting not interested in hunting, but they're interested in that natural food source and that way of life. And they want to actually get into it because not because of, they want to kill animals, but because they want to be able to secure their own food sources. Yeah. I mean, that's real popular, especially out, out West right now with like the hipster movement and, uh, you know, eating organic, which is something that, that I tried to do. And, and, uh, so yeah, and, it, where I work, you know, we have a bunch of 
hipsters, if you will, granolas. And uh, I, I work with a real nice gal that has a lot of food allergies, and she's limited to uh, uh, venison and elk. And she's to the point where she's bought in a tag and, you know, re ready to go out in the field and get herself a deer or an elk. I mean, she's to that point. It, it's pretty cool, you know. And um, I wish I had some time to, to mentor a little bit. Um, I was talking with her yesterday in a, in a, a CPR class that we were taking together. Um, but it is kind of cool to see these uh, folks from different walks of life, uh, you know, getting excited about getting a freezer and getting a meat grinder and a rifle and, you know, just seeing that through. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I get a lot of them too. They, they find my channel on YouTube and uh, they, they contact me and they get that same attitude. You know, hey, I, I have no interest in killing antlers or anything like that, but I'd love to be able to get my own deer so that we can eat the venison. They want to know where you can even buy deer, um, you know, this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you what, it's very refreshing. And, uh, you know, when you get into conversations with them, you know, they're all 100% for hunting. Um, they like the fair chase aspect. They like every part of that. They have no problems with it at all. They they don't care much for the trophy hunting. And usually, though, I can talk to them and I can tell them, look, you know what? These people that you you know, the vast majority of trophy hunters are are not trophy hunters because all they care about is the horns. I tell them, you know, it's usually because uh, they they only get limited amount of tags, and you know, some of those tags are for a buck, and they want to they want to challenge themselves. You know, they know they could kill a deer pretty quickly, and they don't want to just kill a deer. They want to challenge themselves into killing the biggest deer, the outsmart. Yeah. You know, and it's really been a nice opportunity to try and take middle ground people and make them understand, let them understand what it is we do and how we do it and why we do it. And it's a real cool uh, bonus to being in this, you know, the podcast and uh, YouTube stuff. And I, I, you know, I don't know what you, what it's called. It's sure in the hell isn't celebrity or nothing, but you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, a figure where people find you. Yeah. You know, social and it's media. Cool yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, you know, to speak to that, I think that, uh, you know, as far as like, we do only get one elk tag and one deer tag and, um, a lot of units only allow you to shoot a buck or a bull because of sound science, because we can't afford to lower the populations because we're not at management objectives and, and whatnot. So that is often the case for, for the places I'm hunting and, um, yeah, like this year with my wife and my daughter's rifle hunting, um, if they can put some meat away this October, uh, shoot, I w would love to hold out for a, uh, mature buck. Um, something that I, uh, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, I'm not looking for inches or anything. I'm just, uh, I'm looking for an experience, I guess. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but at the same time, like that cow I killed in the wilderness, uh, uh, a few seasons ago, you know, that was an awesome, uh, experience. We had just come seven miles out of a wilderness, uh, to, uh, bathe in a river and then pack right back into a, another wilderness, six miles. And we didn't even set up camp yet. And we got onto a big herd of elk and chased them around. And, um, I ended up, uh, shooting this, uh, cow elk and we packed her out of the wilderness and we put her in a cooler and we went back into the wilderness to try to get another elk and 
And when we went back to the cooler to pick her up, there was an absolute giant dinosaur bull hanging up. And we went in there to go take a look at the bull. We were in there, you know, gaga goo-gooing over this big bull. And the guy said, oh, that's your cow. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. You know, I'm pretty pumped on that cow. And he was like, uh, you know, where'd you get her? And I said, oh, I got her up in the wilderness. And he said, you shot a cow in the wilderness? And I was like, yeah, like real stoked. And he was like, man, I would never do that. And that's kind of the mentality, like, you know, oh, she doesn't have horns, so she's not worth the effort. Yeah, to pack out and do all the yeah. effort to record, yeah. get it the, out the, of Like, some, somehow, if it had horns, it would be worth the effort of packing it out of there. But since it didn't have oh, if I was your hunting partner and you shot that cow way back in that wilderness, I wouldn't help you get it out. I mean, that's the attitude some guys have. Um, but I looked at him and smiled, and I said... Shot her with a wood longbow and some wooden arrows from three yards. And he, his guys were like deer in the headlights. And he was like, that's super awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She yeah. said, well, you want to pack them up now? <laughs> yeah. He, he, he got it then. He was like, copy that. Uh, so, yeah, that's just however you want to make your venture. And that doesn't, uh, you know, to for that guy, uh, he's like 95% of the public. That giant bull is uh, a bull of a lifetime. I'd love to have one. Uh, but that's uh, uh, the experience he's after. And uh, when I shot that cow, there was a big bull. I don't think I was going to get a shot at him. And I had a for sure thing at three yards. Um, yeah. And that's how I roll. Um, and so I think as long as you're uh, going by feel, man, whatever feels right to you, I mean... I don't care what anyone does as long as they're uh, not affecting my experience, you know, my short time I have planned out there. Um, yeah. And you're out there for your reasons. That's what yeah. matters more than yeah. anything else. You yeah. Know? And in, in, as long as modern archery doesn't uh, make it so our seasons don't dry up and go away, then, hey, let, I say let them have whatever they want. Um, but the the, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is, uh, you know, what goes up must come down. You know, there's, there's gotta be a, a, a give and a take somewhere. And I think so many guys are going away from rifle hunting and getting into archery hunting because of the ease. And it's, uh, it's not necessarily that we're losing hunters. It's just, they're shifting. Right. There's a big yep, shift. Change of pace, change of style. Yeah. Pretty soon we'll be pretty soon as traditional bow hunters, uh, we'll be wanting to hunt in the art or in a gun season because there'll be less people in the gun season than there is in the archery season. Yeah. So as a big squirrel on traditional archery and seasons and, and whatnot. But, uh, and I think, you know, guys might get tired of hearing about that crap, but I, I think it's important. Um, and I think that it could be one of the only things that, uh, keeps it around. Yeah. Nope. Very good thing. I think it's a great thing. So you said you got uh, your both. Uh, you got your wife and your daughter that are going to be hunting this year, huh? Yeah, rifle hunting. I just got a little two forty three dialed in for them, and it's actually their uh, first time hunting. Uh, they uh, eat my deer up so fast, my one deer a year, and they they said, "Well, we we want more deer," and I said, "Well, deer, you're going to have to participate." So. Um, 
I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, taking them out and exposing them to that. And um, I don't, uh, I don't ever see my wife getting into bow hunting, but I see her probably uh, joining me on some wilderness hunts because she is real athletic and she does like the woods. And so I think uh, she'd really like that. And um, I hope that my daughters uh, eventually get into bow hunting, but they're small, structured, and they're not shooting the weight by no means. They're still shooting in the 25 to 30-pound area and um, just not really ready for bow hunting. Yeah. What's uh, I, I don't know what your laws are out there for elk. I think here in Michigan, I think it's like 40 pounds or something. But, uh, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, Bella's killed – uh, two deer and, uh, two hogs and a bear now. And I don't think she's, uh, I don't think her bow, I haven't, I don't have a scale to measure, but I don't want to say, I would be shocked if I said that she's a pound and a half over 40 pounds. It's four, it's um, 40, it's 40 pounds out here. Um, so, and I imagine they could probably pull that with a compound. Um, they're not interested. I've offered, uh, you know, I probably have brainwashed them t- too much. But I'm like, hey, you know, the only way we're going to make this work, we get you as a compound, we get you into the woods. And uh, they're like, ah, no, no, I'm going to stick with my longbow, dad. Uh, yeah, no, no, thank you. No, no cheater bow for me uh, is what, yep. what, what the oldest says. So uh, maybe I did my job too well. I don't know. But I mean, I've given her legitimate, like ready to go buy her one, get it dialed in so I could uh, take her out elk hunting with me. And, and uh, she's not interested. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think compounds are the greatest invention, uh, ever for women and children. No, yeah. I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. I, I know what you mean though. Yeah. No, I think it's a great thing. Well, I mean, I had the same thing with Bella, you know what I mean? I told her that she can't, you know, she went traditional for a whole season and she shot over the back of like four deer. And I'm like, Bella, listen, you got to practice. And she's like, I don't have time with all this school function yeah. and work and all yeah. the things. And, and I'm like, well, Bella, I, I'm, I'm sorry, honey, but I gotta, I gotta pull the plug here. Cause if you don't practice regularly, every couple days, like you have been all summer, you, you can't, you can't be out there ethically hunting yeah. and, uh, and so she didn't have the time. And so the next year she said, okay, I'm going to go to the compound. I told her, I said, you want to go to the compound? You want to go to the crossbow? You're going to practice more. What are you going to do? She said, well, I think I'm going to go to the compound. And she said, cause I, I don't get the time to practice with my recurve. Like I want to. So I'm going to hunt with a compound. I'll practice with it for the, you know, a month before the season at all summer, I'll go fish and shoot my recurve. But before season, I'll get that thing dialed in and make sure it's good. And I'll practice with it. But that way I don't have to, be out there every other day i can just get out there once a week and you know shoot you know 30 arrows and make sure i'm still dialed in yeah and uh but i asked her about the crossbow and i said you you not interested in crossbow and she rolled her eyes and she's like in this household could you really could, you think you think a crossbow could come through the door here and still survive <laughs> like i'm like well <laughs> same thing i guess i uh kind of over pushed uh you know you, you, you do your job too well but she's like yeah i'll never touch a crossbow whatsoever in any circumstances i could never live with myself and i told her said bell you can shoot whatever you want my opinion is strictly mine you do whatever you want to do she's like yeah thanks i'll stick with a compound right and, and in oregon we only get one tag and we have to choose our weapons so they they can't go hunt with a bow and then hunt gun and then hunt. it's just they have to choose it's either bow or gun and so i i started off uh, gun hunting and so i decided that that would be uh, a place to get them some experience and um 
I think those traditional only areas could create some good opportunity to take my kids hunting, uh, you know, where the pressure is a little bit lower. And, um, you know, when, when they, maybe when they're probably when they're adults bow hunting, you know, I imagine with sports and school and everything, it's, it's tough to be a bow hunter, man. I mean, you got, you got to know your limitations, like you said, and you got to be able to put in the time and, and to hunt with, uh, the stick and string, it takes, uh, some serious due diligence. Yep. Yep. Now, as far as you too, um, now I know you got some, uh, um, some pig opportunities, some other things. What do you got lined up now? Cause technically, like I said, it's pretty weird that my season is just, you know, it's four days into it right now. It's just kicking off and I'll be going hardcore, you know, all the way through, uh, through February for deer and then, uh, February, March and April and, you know, hunting, chasing, uh, you know, hogs and stuff like that. But, um, with you, your September elk season is already over, but that doesn't mean it's the season's over for you. What else do you got going on this year? No, this is halftime. This is halftime right, right. now. So this is, uh, October's, uh, rifle deer season. So the rifle deer hunters are out hunting and, uh, we are, uh, waiting our turn to, uh, get our chance at the deer. So, uh, when the rifle guys are going to be finished at the end of, I think November 1st, and then it's our turn to get in there and we get a hunt, uh, black tails, uh, three weeks of November. And I think a week of December, somewhere in there, about 30 days, a little over 30 days. And we get the, the blacktail rut and i actually have two tags i have a statewide general season blacktail tag and then i drew a a, a special uh, willamette tag for a unit and um i'll get to hunt that unit uh actually with a friend i've never even hunted in the unit it's up north and never even been in the woods up there but i have a friend that hunts it and he's invited me and i drew the tag and so um i have that's an any sex tag. I can kill any deer with that one. It's, I think it goes from September to the end of January. Nice. So I got some time yeah, on that one. Got some, you got opportunities to fill, fill that freezer. Yeah. And I got a California, uh, blacktail tag. I went and hunted in July for, uh, end of July, beginning of August. And I didn't fill my tag and my tag is good to the 19th of October. So time is ticking on that one. I may or may not run down and uh, hunt that or not. I don't know. I, I'd like to, but I'm really uh, used up a lot of my time during September, and I'm trying to save some time for November. And you know how that goes, time management. Um, so I still have three blacktail tags in my pocket, and uh, I got some big adventures planned. I'm going to go hunt Southern Oregon with my good buddy Matt Starley, and uh, he is a blacktail fanatic. And we've been talking and texting and giggling like uh, little kids, just, you know, anticipating the rut, anticipating the weather, uh, anticipating, the, you know, the, the, that smell. Man, I, I would trade, if Oregon would allow me, Jason, if I could give my elk tag for a second blacktail tag, like in the beginning of the season, I could say, I'll just take two general season deer tags and uh, just let the elk go. At this point, they're just ugly and 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 sucky and stupid, and uh, <laughs> I, I I just want to hunt deer. 
That sound, yeah. and I'm sure that sounds yeah. crazy to a lot of guys. And I'm sure come next September, uh, I'll be jumping up and down and can't wait to get into the elk woods. But there's just something special about uh, chasing the blacktails. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped up. I'm pretty excited. If you can't tell. Yeah, I remember when we first when you killed your first blacktail, and you said you know it was seven years. We were talking about you know the process, what you've been through, and all that stuff. And seven years running around the woods with a longbow trying to kill a blacktail with it. And I remember when you did, you sent me those pictures we were talking and uh, I'm like seven years on. I remember you solid as a rock. You just said worth it, worth every bit of it. You know, yeah. that's a lot of power comes with that statement, you know, to, to be that infatuated with an animal that most people wouldn't even think about or don't care about because of the difficulty level. And on top of this, so you, you take that, you know, it, it's the true, essence of what a traditional bow hunter is it's that that, that chasing it you know to take on the challenge the well challenge there is what's funny about that is i hunted them on the ground that whole time you know i'd killed them with rifle and compound but when i switched to trad i could not get it done and i just kept grinding it out on the ground and it was going to the tree stand you know i started killing bucks and now i feel real confident about it you know it's like i have a tactic i have a, a method um, instead of just hoping to get lucky on the ground. Um, and so, I mean, the guys that get it done on the ground, man, my hats are off to them, uh, because the tree stand has proved to be an awesome tool. And it, a lot of guys, especially out West are like, I could never do it. I could never do it. That's what they say. Oh, no. and I thought the same thing, but man, there's something about sitting there in that tree and seeing the woods come alive it's for a western hunter that's used to burning boot leather yeah it's a different uh style of hunting but it's one that i look forward to for sure yeah and it's definitely proven itself very well and, and you've been on i mean you were just on a very successful you you didn't you weren't because of the fact that it was you know um, your your partner ended up killing one, and then that you know, I mean, there's a lot involved with getting those animals out and taking care of it. But uh, his black tail hunt, where you were down in California too, I mean, you guys, he did that on the ground too, right? Yeah, that was a uh, um, spot and stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah, spot and stock black tail. Yeah, it's kind of spot and stock still hunting. Like you see them in the mornings moving around, but they don't bed up like a mule deer out in the open. They move into a brush patch, so then you go over there, and then you're like, okay. They're bedded in here somewhere, and now you're moving really slow, glassing, looking, trying to pick them up before they pick you up is kind of how that that works in the morning. And then from there, you're just still hunting them. So it's more of a still hunt than anything. But yeah, uh, Joaquin, uh, my brother from another mother, uh, he, uh, he was able to take a mature, real nice buck. Uh, he you get two tags in California, two deer tags. And he actually shot a nice buck a couple weeks ago. Uh, another one, he filled his, uh, filled his second tag. So, uh, yeah, he, he got two nice bucks and the buck, the wilderness buck, um, that was life changing. Uh, I hope to do that hunt with him every year that I can. It was an adventure of a lifetime. And, uh, yeah, he gave me half that buck, and it's some of the finest meat uh, I've ever prepared. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, 
and it just, you know, knowing where it came from and being part of the whole experience. And, you know, I saw the pictures, just smiles to say it all, you know, and the gear and the hard work and the stuff that was involved in it. You know, I mean, whitetail hunters over here, I mean, 90% of them, they, you know, they get in their truck and throw a tree stand in the bed of the truck and they drive 25 miles away and then they park their truck on a, hundred acre parcel or 50 acre Michigan parcel. And then they hike out there behind a, you know, behind their parents' house and climb up in a stand that's been there for 30 years. And, you know, that that's their hunting experience. When they kill a deer, they drive the truck right to it, throw it in the bed of the truck. It's a whole different world than what you guys are experiencing. Yeah. Out there. Even the mileage drive time, you know, I mean here, you know, like I said, most people are dry, you know, if, if it's an hour drive, like people look at me and they're like, what do you mean you live in the middle of the state land and you drive an hour to most of your spots? Well, I'm hunting terrain. I want terrain features and that's where they are. So I have to drive out there to them, but they, they think that's crazy. And then when I tell them about you, I'm like, you know, I mean, these Western guys and average, you know, just to go hunt for a weekend, they'll drive 14 hours, you know? Yeah. Some of my spots are that far. Some of them, at least, you know, I, I drive, uh, two hours to get in a tree stand and I'm driving by deer like in my yard I'm pulling because I'm not allowed to hunt in the unit the, uh, there's certain units that we can hunt in and I live in a unit that has no late season blacktail hunting so I'm driving by like seeing all these bucks to go hunt in a unit that I can hunt in yeah it's 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 definitely a slightly uh, a different game out here for sure but no one really tree stand hunts out here so you have that you have you're, you have you're able to utilize a uh, a tactic that isn't being u- that is underutilized. You know, I'm not saying nobody, but it's it's not a uh, super popular move. Um, so, and, and to speak to adventure, I think that's why I'm a little sour on the elk hunt, and that's why I said I want to go to Eastern Oregon next year, is because I was just hunting in my backyard for elk, and it just gets old. It, you know, it's not there's no adventure in it. And when I go, when I go hunt mule deer, uh, you know, up in the high desert or when I go, uh, uh, hunt blacktails in Southern Oregon, or I go, uh, to hunt blacktails in the wilderness of Northern California, uh, it's full of adventure. And I think that the meat is the cherry on the top, but to be really frank, the adventure is, number one in my book. I mean, I'm seeking, uh, the adventure and the people that are involved are just as important. Yeah. That's a very good point. The camaraderie and yeah. the times with friends. Yeah. I mean, if I had a nickel for time, we were pouring hot water, boiling water over the wood stove and pouring it down to, uh, you know, the, the wall tent stakes that were frozen oh. in the ground. It would take oh. forever to get them out. You know, everybody else is pissing and moaning and complaining about it. I'm sitting there going, you know what? I, I live for this. You know, this, oh, this is man. what it's all about. You know, the hard I mean, work, the adventure, the everything. I can, I can hear the wood stove and the wall tent already. Gosh, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I yeah. mean. It, Wind flapping it, flapping it around. Yeah. And you feel the breeze as it really comes through the canvas. And, oh, yeah. I'm, and then you feel that cold air circulating underneath your cot. I'm, I'm all for it, dude. It's, it's, for me, it's it's three weeks away till I get in. I'll be, you know, in a wall tent in Missouri for a week out there living life that way, taking a shower in a jet sled, you know. <laughs> Tell us, since we're on our soapbox, buy less gear if, if, it's, a, if it's a money thing. Sell some bows, sell some guns. You only need one. Go on adventures. You know, if if you got to take the a week off of work unpaid, pay yourself, save it up, pay those bills, 
planet. You know, I tell my buddies, they're like, I don't know how you do this. And it's like, I tell my wife well ahead of time, I plan for it, I get my bills paid, I get my ducks in a row. You you have to do this. We only get to do this once. And if you're going to wait for retirement, you guys are missing the boat, man. Um, my family values uh, my time in wild places because I come back uh, recharged and... Um, I have to have it, you know, so I just tell guys, you, you know, if you're not doing it, do it, you know, and, and if, if it's too big of a leap, like go for a couple nights locally, like just don't come home, uh, and then work your way towards it. But, you know, find these adventures and, and have them. Yeah. And they don't cost a lot of money to do. Actually, a podcast I recorded last week, I don't know if it'll be before or after this, because I'll probably put it out, you know, at the same kind of time frame. But uh, um, but I just got done doing one, and it was, uh, you know, what gear do you have to have to go hunting? And if I could have summed it up in one text message, it would have just been tags and vacation days. That's all you need. The rest Dude, of it yeah. I mean, look at the guys that I interview all the time. Most of uh, their adventures were had in blue jeans and a wool coat. And an army surplus backpack and uh, a longbow with a quiver full of arrows. I mean, these guys were going to Alaska uh, and a frying pan. I mean, these guys were doing it. My buddy Carson Brown just went to Alaska with a similar setup. So, I mean, you don't uh, you don't have to have all this stuff, uh, but you don't get to do it if you don't do it. And yeah. and you don't have to go to Alaska. You can, if you live in uh, uh, Georgia and you're down in the southern part of the state, go up to the northern part of the state. Uh, go after uh, uh, a different terrain type that you're not used to hunting. Uh, go into a state park and uh, spend the night in the woods with the animals. Like, make it an adventure. Take a good friend. Like, whatever it is, you don't even have to leave your state. I know in my state, I, I have a lot of adventures I haven't even done yet here there's plenty to be done At, and on the yeah. cheap it's like like you said days off some gas you're gonna eat like you gotta eat three meals a day if you're in the woods or if you're at home so that's you don't count that uh it's it's you just you just gotta do it yep tags and vacation days get out there and make it happen last year uh not last year i'm sorry about uh Actually, it was a while ago. I want to say it was about eight years ago, but uh, I had a buddy who wanted to come up and he wanted to do a northern Michigan deer hunt up there. And I said, well, hey, you know what? I got a pretty good idea. I wanted to try something here because I'm like, you know, this uh, river is not frozen. The Muskegon River is not frozen like it normally is. It's moving pretty good. I'm thinking about doing a canoe hunt if you want to go. He was all for it. And uh, it was funny. You know, he, he prepped for this hunt for like two weeks and he'd call me with, I bought this for it. I'm like, well, you, you don't, you're probably not going to need that, but he, and he's, anyway, he ended up buying this mountain hardware four season two person tent. Cause we were going to be out there in the wintertime, December hunt in the snow. And uh, he bought this hunt did he, or this tent that he was going to use. And um, he kept telling me, well, what are you going to stay in? What tent are you bringing? And I tell him, I'm, I'm just bringing a blue tarp, you know, well, you're crazy, this kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, he, he came, he probably spent, I'll bet he spent $1,500 in gear to do this hunt so that it would be like everything he read on the forums and all this kind of stuff. And I showed up with, all I had was my canoe, my backpack, my longbow tree stand, and then in my, you know, other than food, but my shelter was basically two of those $5 Walmart blue, you know, um, you know, eight by 10 tarps. 
And, uh, you know, he set up his, his mountain hardware tent and he got in it and I set up, all I did was just put my, I built a lean to, I put that one tarp on the ground and I used the other one as a lean to, to keep the condensation off me. And I built a fire right in front of it. And, uh, about two o'clock in the morning, he came over, he came out of that tent and crawled in with me over there on that tarp. But he <laughs> he's like, I'm freezing in that tent. I'm like, well, you know, you don't, you don't have to have this stuff. All you have to do is get out there and just think about it and do it. You don't need to buy expensive gear. You don't have to have all this fancy stuff. You just got to commit to doing it, get out there and give it a shot, you know, and have fun with it. But people get caught up in the gear stuff like crazy and it really limits them. They think that I got to have this and that to do that. You don't, you need tags and you need vacation days. The rest of it will fall into place. You don't have hunting clothes, wear whatever you got in your closet. If you don't have, you know, um, you know, fancy this or that, then go without it. You don't, yeah, you don't need this. And you can go, there's some great, I mean, rock slide is a great place to get used gear for the uh, Western hunter. You know, there's guys that they want to upgrade their stuff all the time. And man, there's some killer deals to be had. I mean, you got guys on there selling thousand dollar backpacks for two hundred bucks because it's got a got a little mark on it, or because it was three years old, or something like that. Um, right, and then you do one time, yeah, you know. a little blood stain or something, and uh, you can you can you can really the there's not a better time to be able to pick up some some gear for cheap, and like you said, you, in most cases you don't even need it. Um, you just need to uh, get out there and uh, get the experience, man. The outdoors is, uh, man, it, it it it's it's healing. It's uh, I don't know how people live without it. Yep. Yep. Well, well said. And and there is a huge difference. I mean, if you think you're, you're whitetail hunting or, like you said, even your backyard blacktails or any of this kind of stuff that a lot of people do, the easy hunting stuff, if, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you think that's fun and rewarding, it, that's really a 2 compared to, to doing some of this other stuff. And like you said, it doesn't have to be anything big, but there's a huge difference between going out to your own 40 acres and hanging a tree stand and, you know, or going out to a tree stand already hung and spent there forever and killing a, uh, you know, killing a 140-inch deer um, that that will mean nothing to you once you get up and you just go spend a week in a in a wall tent somewhere with good friends and hunting your butt off and moving new places and doing stuff. And if you're lucky, come home with a doe or even a yearling or even nothing. But I mean that will that hunt will draw more power to you than that 140 inch on your on your dad's farm all day long. I promise you. Yeah, because what happens is for me when I hunt the back 40, you know whatever I hunt local public. And then the hunt comes and goes like it did on, well, I'm left with like, I'm not left with any, I learned some stuff, but I'm not left with any adventure where when I go on one of these trips and I plan this trip and I'm, you know, I'm just geeking out about it. I'm excited. I'm talking to my friend about it. We're, you know, we're just, it's, it's part of leading up to it, the anticipation, and then you have the trip. And then even if you uh, are coming home with the meat, you still are coming home with the experience. And I, that has value for me. Like it has a, a buttload of value. I mean, it is. Yeah, that value is higher than the, than the meat and then the horns. That value is at the top of the list. Yeah, it's, it's humongous. And so uh, when you're, 
50, 60, 70 as you age. And the more you, I, you know, the more you stack adventure in your life, I think, I think it's going to make you want to live longer and it's going to make you, uh, adventure longer. I mean, I, I, I see guys that are adventuring in their late ages. I mean, we just had Sterling Holbrook on. He's, uh, you know, long in the tooth and he is absolutely getting it him and his old lady his wife they are going out doing 30-day hunts still in alaska and alabama i mean it is awesome yeah yeah stuff that we strive to be able to do you know that's why you eat well you exercise you do what you can and you try to be those people you know that to be able to do that and uh and you know what i mean um, they're perfect examples, but I don't know much about them other than all the things that I've read, which has been tons, but I don't know them personally, but you know what, like we were talking about with the gear, look at, look at what they use in their lifestyle and how they live, uh, to be able to do the things they do in compared to what most people are today. You know, um, they give up a lot and they, they, they live a lot simpler so that they can enjoy this stuff. And again, like we're talking, the adventure matters more than anything to them. Yeah, and I think that that activity has a lot of longevity involved in it, and that that's it's got me, you know, changing my lifestyle over the last three or four years on how I eat, my relationship with food, my relationship with the outdoors. I mean, you you mold yourself to be able to uh, walk this path for the long run, you know, for the long road. Um, you know, I I'm. I'm excited about bow hunting into my late ages. I see guys doing it. I'm friends with a lot of guys that are doing it. And if you take care of yourself, uh, I think it's only going to get funner. Yeah. And every time you just learn more and more. Cause and we, we slow down. I, I've slowed down so much. Uh, meaning, uh, I mean, I can still eat the mountains, but just in, uh, my mentality and my attitude, and I think the more you can slow yourself down, uh, the better you're going to be when it comes to uh, your ability to have patience and to make uh, you know good decisions. Yeah, it's that whole work smarter, not harder kind of concept as well, too. Right. And you also slow yourself down enough that you actually start analyzing things and paying attention to it rather than stomping right through it. You know, you're learning from it. You're learning every time you're out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what, uh, what do you got? What do you got left? What's the, what's the, what's the out of state adventure? Did we go over that? Well, yet? I got, uh, I got Michigan. Uh, I'll be, uh, it's a busy work month for me in October is, so I'm going to try and get my daughter out there. She'll probably get out three times. So I'll try and get out with her and then I'll try and uh, do some more Michigan hunting in October. And then I leave the first week in November. I'm heading to, uh, Missouri. I'll be there for a week. And then I come home, I'm home for a little less than a week, get some work done. And then I'm off to Kansas for a week, uh, come home from there. Uh, so I'll be home around Thanksgiving for that or from that. And then I'll, uh, basically maybe our gun season goes till the 30th year. So I probably won't do anything else for November here. Um, I'll probably wait. And then, uh, December, uh, I'm going to try and get some more, you know, any Michigan tags that I got left filled. If I do fill them, then I'm going to head down to Indiana and uh, start focusing some energy in Indiana or Ohio, one of the two. And uh, then Christmas break, we are going to uh, grab our RV, and I think we're going to disappear and head uh, 
uh, down south, we got uh, one of Tina's friends going to just stay right at our house so they can take care of everything here, which is nice. So we're going to disappear for that whole Christmas break while Bella's out of school and go down to Georgia or Alabama or Georgia and Alabama, maybe even Florida. But like I said, that'll be more family break, but I'm going to bring my bow. And I, I already, I have 10 deer tags for Georgia from last year that I bought when I was on the hog hunt down there. So, uh, you know, I got, I have 10 deer tags, a bear tag and unlimited hogs for Georgia. So I'm going to plan and that goes through that tags good through April. So I'm going to try and be down there quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, making some stuff happen there in the winter time, you know, try and get two or three trips down there between, you know, between December and uh, between December and April, I'm going to try and get down there a few times, you know, and see what I can do. Like I said, their deer season ends, I think mid January, but their hogs will still give me opportunities. So uh, that's kind of my game plan. I may or may not hunt in Alabama. I don't have any tags for there yet. They are over the counter, but I don't know. It depends on the situation and how many days we're there if I do or not. So, um, but that's pretty much it. Other than that, I don't have anything, uh, nothing extravagant happening. We did that bear hunt with Bella this year. That was absolutely incredible. And she had a time of her life and it was, I loved it. I had so much fun. Um, but now I'm not allowed to ever go bear hunting again without her. So I have to take that into consideration. So it'll probably be two years before, um, I save up the money for us to get back up there and, and do it again. And, um, I may, I may very well, very might possibly, instead of waiting two years for us to go up there and hunt together, I might try and take her next year again, where I won't hunt and I'll just go with her. Cause I, I had more fun being in a stand with her and filming it and being part of it with her and her experiences with it. than I did than I've ever had killing any of the bears I've killed myself. It was just so much more powerful being there with her for it yeah. and fishing with her. I mean, father daughter time was amazing. So I might, I might surprise her and make that happen this year too. If uh, her schedule allows Oh, that's so rad. So rad. Awesome. Well, um, you got anything in, uh, in closing as far as, uh, our, uh, deer season coming deer season's already begun for most of you guys. Uh, I know we're in October right now, but you know, do you got anything in closing as far as for the guys that are hunting the rut? Um, yeah, be, uh, um, just be fluid, be mobile with it. And, uh, just, uh, step outside of the box. You know, don't, don't, you know, forget what you read in magazines, forget what you see in podcasts or you, you know, or on YouTube and stuff like that. Just trust your gut and, and move, stop hunting the same places at the same time. Cause I mean, you, you need to be moving with these deer. And I think that's a huge factor that a lot of people overlook would probably be the biggest one, you know, step outside of your comfort zone, um, and move to where those deer are would probably be my best bet. And then just uh, have fun with it too. One thing I noticed during the rut is people get burned out pretty quick. They hunt with everything they got, which is good. And they're doing a grind. And I believe me, I get it. You know I mean? I'm getting two hours of sleep a night, you know, to, to be able to be in the woods and, and work. I, I understand how that is, but on the same note, you know, um, don't, you know, you know, pace yourself a little bit and play it right and, and think, you know, like you were just saying, how you slow yourself down and you pay better attention. The same thing matters. You know, don't, uh, don't overdo this. You're going to be sitting long sits and stuff. Just make sure you're taking the time. You're, you're doing it right so that you're sitting in the right place to do it. I think that's uh, solid advice. Um, I guess uh, in my closing, I would say uh, along the lines of slowing down, you know, if you are so lucky to lose an arrow, uh, even if uh, you just heart shot him and he does a front somersault right in front of you, uh, take a time to read that blood trail. 
Um, if when you're headed to your stand and you see some big tracks and they're heading in a different direction, uh, don't let that blow by, you know, uh, pay attention to what is going on around you. I think that it's easy to go hunting and to go through the motions and be like, well, this is the pinch point and that's the tree and this is where the funnel's at and this is the wind tunnel and I'm just going to, you know, going to set up the way I was told. Uh, I think it's easy to, to miss the sign and to, and to uh, I think that's where woodsmanship can be lost. And so for the new guys that are, you know, hitting the woods uh, or the guys that, uh, you know, have just kind of gotten complacent, uh, there's a lot of fun in reading the sign. Sure is. And, you know, as it, on that note, it was kind of funny because I told somebody about this once before, um, literally like two months ago during scouting season. And uh, he called me back and he was like, oh, my God, it was so cool. I actually made it happen and it was legit. Um, and I told him, I said, when you're out there scouting, because he's looking for big bucks. He's like, I got trail camera shots of him and I know he's here. He's a big dog. He's on my property and I want to find him. I said, well, next time you go out there and you check that camera and you know he went by, if it's recent, um, look for his track on the ground, anywhere you can find it there. And when you get it, take a picture of it and also take some measurements. I don't care if it's just a stick you found laying there, break a stick that shows the width and another stick that shows the length um, and carry them in your pocket and then see what happens. And if, see if you, you're in another spot and you find that track, a track that might be the same one, pull out that picture, pull out those sticks and see if it's that same one. And he's amazed. And he's like, you know what? I actually, on my property now, I, I see four places where I can ambush him that he's moving through. And it was like, he's, and he's like, and I only know he's moving through there. Not cause the cameras, I only have one camera there that I caught that picture of him, but you know, I don't have any more cameras. But he said, but because of the track, because you said that, now I can find him based on his track and I can tell where he travels to. It's like little things like that that you never think about, you know. But yeah. it's something as simple as two sticks in a cell phone picture, and now you know everywhere that deer walks on your property, you know. Yeah, I, and that kind of brought to mind, I got a friend that runs a lot of cameras, and he recently told me by running multiple cameras on certain trails or whatever, He's come to the realization that a lot of these cameras uh, are missing stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that you think that they're picking up every time something comes in proxi proximity of the camera, and it's not always the case. And, um, you know, <laughs> the camera tells you what happened yesterday. It does not predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, it does not tell you what's going to happen today it's 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 past information i think that they can be fun but they're a trap and and that they, they can be damaging to one's hunt right and you know i uh when i when i bear hunted last year i had a camera out there and then i would get like these pictures of these bears but i'm looking at the timestamp and i'm like wait a minute this first picture the bait's already knocked over and you know the logs because we had to put it on the ground and put logs on it i'm like this first picture that i have the logs are already moved like, what is going on? So I'm thinking something's missing it. So I brought out another trail camera, same exact model. I have, you know, I have five right. of them. I brought out another one and I hung one, you know, right on top of the other. So they're, they're an inch apart from each other, both doing the same exact thing. And it was interesting to see um, that, you know, one would have 
400 pitchers, one would have 290 pitchers. That's what I'm talking about. And the one that had more wouldn't have the same ones that the other one did. It was really kind of unique. So I don't know if that's normal across the board, but I I agree with your buddy completely that, you know, I mean, just because you put a trail camera out and it says it got 100 pitchers doesn't mean it only 100 there's only a hundred options, you know, no, things... I've made the, and I've made the mistake where I'm like, Oh, there's only does. There's only does. There's no bucks. There's no bucks. Cause that's what the camera says. And then I take a step back and I'm like, wait a minute, read the sign. Yeah. This rub didn't get here by accident. That he's, track's too big yeah, to, or track's yeah. too big and strutted too wide. You know, yeah, he's here. He's here. He's just not stepping yep. in front of this camera. That's it. Yep. He's walking around it. And, uh, that's uh um or the dose made the camera go off and then when he comes by the camera's on its resting period it's 10 second resting period or whatever and he slips by and you don't see him and so yeah uh technology man it'll be the death of us yeah and i you know i mean i'll be honest with you every time i've seen a buck in the woods other than the rut when they're dogging them and chasing them, if I see does, does are always on the main trails, you know, and that's, they're always there, but it's the, the bucks are always 20 yards off in the thicker stuff on the faint trails. They're, your camera would never pick them up. You could have a hundred does go down that trail that you put it on or that intersection. And that, those bucks, they're right there within shooting range, but they're not on that camera. They're not using that trail. I like this right now. I'm liking uh, my buddy, Matt. He kind of keyed me on to this, but he's been using his cameras to observe food source behavior. So he's like, huh? Cause blacktails eat like 80 different kinds of things. And he's like, huh? Right. What's going on over here with these wild roses? Stick a camera on it. And it's not just that. Yeah. There's deer eating it. But it's like, huh, only bucks are eating this right here? That's interesting. Or just, you know, how how they use the food. Um, it's it's definitely becoming a, a more of a learning tool in the off-season to, to, to throw a camera to, to learn something than it is to try to predict a pattern. Uh, I, for me, yeah. for me. No, I would agree. And that's a good way to use them because you're, you're gaining knowledge that you can use, yeah. you know, and, and you know, the, the worst thing I think people do is they look at, like you said, they look at their trail camera footage and they go, Oh, there's no big bucks here. Well, your camera can't tell you if there's a big buck there or not. Nine no. times out of 10, that big buck is not going to be in front of that camera anyway. He's going to be right there, but he's not in front of that camera. And uh, so you're not gaining nothing by that, except for missing out on opportunities that are there by not being there. And, uh, but the way you're using them or he's the way he's talking about using them, that's, that's knowledge. Knowledge is power. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. But at the same time, you know, come hunting season, man, I'm really less is more. I mean, I'm really each year I try to strip it down. Uh, I mean, I want to be comfortable, but the, the more uh, gadgetry that's around, uh, the more I can take away from, the, the total experience. Yep. And Hey, speaking of that, you had mentioned, cause you just bought yourself while uh, you guys got a couple new cameras and uh, we were talking mics and stuff like that. Uh, when are we going to start seeing some uh, footage or some of this stuff? Yeah. Me and Bob are the worst. We, we are like not, not great camera guys at all. Um, I, I pulled my camera out. Uh, very little. <laughs> Very little. I I did. Yeah. Uh, I had it out. Took some really pretty, took some really nice pictures in Eastern Oregon when I was mule deer hunting, and I need to go through those. Uh, shot a few short videos. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, very, very little was done as far as capturing that, but I'm, I'm going to uh, put some effort in blacktail season. I am. Yeah. And I, I, I miss you. Even your cell phone stuff last year, how you would do the little cell phone videos along oh, the way. That, that January, the January elk hunt. Yeah. The January elk hunt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that was incredible. And I could, you know, I feel like I was right there with you. I could see the terrain, see the rub, see the sign, see the action, hear what you were saying about it. You know, I'm going up here, they're up above this and I'm dropping into there. I mean, it was, it was, I loved it. That it's, was pretty incredible. I, I, I hope you guys do more of that. It's so hard for me because TradQuest is um, for it's about promoting traditional archery. Like, I'm not really into self promotion. Uh, Bob's definitely not into self promotion, um, and so it's hard to like film. Like, it's not even about that. Uh, let me rewind. I'm not. Sh it's hard to balance my adventure and experience I want to have and get the camera involved and, and i gotta find that balance yeah no that makes sense you know i'm i'm the same way i had single string productions i actually bought the you know i started as a company and everything a few years you know whatever 10 12 years ago and i was videotaping all my hunts i did it for a whole year and i hated it it was like oh my god this is exhausting i'm turning it into a job i'm getting mad at equipment i hate carrying all this stuff and then deer are coming in too late i can't shoot them because i have no camera light and oh, i hated it and then i sold everything swore i'd never bring a camera in the woods again and i don't other than my cell phone but let me also say i didn't make a lot of video with my new uh little sony camera i which i got it to make video I found myself taking photos and I found myself having a lot of fun taking photos and now I think I want like a real like DLSR <laughs> yeah like now I want to like go for it because I'm like oh like I do like taking photos a lot um there's actually several times when I got on animals and I kind of like reached for the camera and the boat at the same time and I'm like ah, I don't know what to do um, so right. it, there is, there is some fun to be had with the camera. I just have to learn kind of how it, how it fits. And I, for some reason, I think capturing deer hunting, I don't know why this is, but I think capturing deer hunting as far as just some B real and getting the camera out is more, uh, uh, possible than with elk elk. I'm just they just stress me out and I'm just trying to figure stuff out. And I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think if I had an elk hunting partner, which I didn't this year, um, you know, then guys could take turns kind of doing a little filming of each other, but solo elk hunting, um, the camera just, and it rained so much. Um, so yeah, the camera just wasn't very involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got it and you'll figure it out. And if you want to use it, it's right there. If you do, he got a good setup for it, but I am, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to see some videos come out. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do, we'll do what we can when we can, I suppose. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really, uh, look forward to following along like I always do on your season and, uh, sounds like you might you're going to be in Kansas when I'm uh, in Southern Oregon, so those should be some fun times to be uh, communicating. I'm looking forward to that uh, for sure. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell my listeners 
Uh, if somehow they're living under a rock and they don't know how to find you because you've got a YouTube channel, which is something you're kind of alluding to that we need. And um, we're going we're gonna to kind of figure that out as time goes. But why don't you tell uh, my listeners where we can find your YouTube channel and you know some of the stuff that you have going on there and your podcast and where they can find you. Uh, podcast is uh, on all the podcast places. Oh, speaking of which, too, I don't know if you found it, but I, I just put mine on iHeartRadio, and it was pretty easy to do. I don't know if you're on there yet or not, but a lot of people kept asking me for it to be on there, and I did, and it was really simple and got approved really fast, just so you know. Never heard of um, it, but sounds like something if uh, that we should probably look into. Yeah, iHeartRadio is huge. It's it's really big, and a lot of people listen to it for radio stuff, and now they get their podcast through it. And I had a lot of people asking me, hey, I listen to iHeartRadio all the time, and there's podcasts on there, but I can't find yours. And so I went in and put it – I took the time to put it in there, and it took me like 10 minutes to fill out their stuff. Dude, you just go right to iHeartRadio, and you submit their application. You put your uh, your RSS feed. That's really simple and easy to do. They approve you a couple days later. So just so you know, it's definitely worth it. But you can find mine on uh, um, iTunes and iHeart and Stitcher and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just call the Traditional Bowhunting and Wilderness Podcast, or I have my own website, tbwpodcast.com. And, uh, and in my YouTube channel, just search for traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast. It'll pop right up on there for you. So any, anywhere you search traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast, you're going to find me. Yeah. And Jason's great about, you know, giving tutorials on tree stand hunting and sharpening broadheads. And I mean, anything and everything that has to do with uh, your trad quest, the trad life, uh, you know, he gets you covered there and there's some really good material. If you guys aren't already, uh, sucking it up uh, over there, I should say eating it up, uh, then uh, you guys should get over there and check it out. And uh, if you guys are listening to this on Jason's feed and you guys haven't checked out TradQuest, um, come check us out, TradQuest.com. We're uh, over there on Instagram, uh, TradQuest. Um, we're not on YouTube yet. Um, that's hopefully in the future. Yeah, hopefully in the future mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, uh, give us a, a email. Tell us what you think. Uh, we're at tradquestpodcast at gmail dot com, and we're just you know trying to promote traditional bow hunting in a positive light. And we would love to uh, hear any kind of uh, input from the listeners because that's why we're doing it. Yeah. For sure. And this has been a good episode, man. I enjoy this. This is what we do on a pretty regular basis through the hunting season, but it was nice to do it, you know, right on air as well, too, and let people kind of, you know, hear it. So that was definitely a good thing. And uh, make sure you get me uh, Russell's info. Is it Russell? I think it was who won that, but make sure you send me that info so I can get his DVDs out for him. Will do. Uh, Definitely. I will do that. And yeah, thank you guys so much. Thanks for coming on, Jason. And always keep the win in your face. Pick a spot and shoot a big old buck this There you fall. go. Like a plan. All righty. Frosty before the sun comes up, the geese are on the wing. The deer are fat and happy, no, they don't suspect a thing. I can't take it any longer, I've got to breathe some air. The only cure for what I've got is a week or so out there. I've got Nimrod Long on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through.